something else that the Lord finished, and he said he'd finished uh, what God gave him to do when he talked to his disciples, when he talked to the Lord about his disciples in the Lord's Prayer, which we're going to look at in John chapter 17. Uh, he'd finished what he needed to do in preparing the disciples, but this uh, it is finished was, of course, a quote from the cross when he'd uh, finished the sacrifice. The price was paid. Thank God for that finish. Let's take our Bibles to John 17. Stand together if you're able, and uh, let's turn to John 17. I want to read verse 1 to verse 20. Uh, if you'll bear with me on that, John 17, verse 1 to verse 20. And uh, take a look here as we're approaching that time when our Savior will uh, do that uh, thing which the choir has sung about, the offering of himself on the cross. The uh, time is at hand. John chapter 17, verse 1 to verse 20. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son may also glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee. Before the world was, I have manifested thy name unto men, which thou, unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. They have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee. And they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. For they are thine. All are mine and, uh, all, uh, and all mine are thine and thine are mine. And I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine Name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these, I, uh, and these things I speak in the world, that they, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that, that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as not, I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. And our Heavenly Father, for the 
comfort and the confidence that we find in these truths of Scripture that our Savior prayed that uh, few hours before that he was to be crucified on Calvary's cross, and yet uh, his thoughts were all together of uh, those that would believe on him. And here today we're gathered this two thousands of years later, and uh, there are here in this room uh, so many that have been those that have heard their word, heard the words that the, those first disciples began to proclaim and to spread around the world. And now all these generations and uh, centuries later, here we are gathered in your house, your people who have heard your word and believed and received and now are trying to live to keep your word. We pray, Father, that you'd help us with that today and help us to glorify thee, to glorify our Savior, uh, to point uh, people toward him, not to ourselves, but toward our wonderful Savior. And we ask, Lord, that you bless the reading of thy word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. That's why we don't clap for them. So clapping's for performers. You can go into churches that does performances if you want to clap. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're ministering to you, and we thank God for them. They, they got a long way to go before they get clapped for anyway. <laughs> We love them. Thank the Lord. We're, uh, we're under the blood and we're washed in the blood of the Lamb. The title of the message uh, this morning is Keep Them From Evil. We read that in our t- text that we read. So back to John chapter 17, if you would. As I mentioned, the setting is the last night before our Savior is going to face uh, the awful consequences of the cross. He and the disciples, they've made their way outside the city now. They've completed the uh, the institution of what we know as communion, the time that they gathered together at the Passover night and uh, instituted uh, the communion, the remembrance of the uh, shed blood and the broken body of our Lord on the cross, and that's been completed. And the Bible says they sung in him and they went out into the night. And so this is what's happened. They've come out of the upper room where they met and they've made their way to the city walls. They've gone through a gate. It's uh, likely that it is what's now called St. Stephen's Gate. And when you go to Jerusalem, when you visit there, you'll want to go and see St. Stephen's Gate and you'll want to walk through there. And as you cross through St. Stephen's Gate, you will stand uh, uh, on the high ground and looking down into the Kidron Valley. And there the brook, uh, uh, there at the, at the bottom uh, and uh, and you will uh, see the the general area where they were and where they began to make their way down into the depths of that valley. Up the other side of the hill, as you look up, it's higher on the other side to Mount Olives and uh, the Mount of Mount Olivet, the um, the Garden of Gethsemane area. Uh, but they're making their way down into the valley. It's not a great distance uh, down, but it's rather a steep incline. As you, um, uh, as you work, work your way down into the bottom of the valley where the, uh, where the brook was, uh, in the brook Kidron. And, and so somewhere down in there, maybe a little ways on, up the other side, our Lord pauses. He stops. Maybe the uh, disciples understand that he is pausing for a purpose. And it may be that they found a, a place to sit nearby to uh, determine what, was he going to teach them something else? Or was he going to say uh, some of the last things that he would say to them before he faced what he, only he fully knew, uh, what was coming the next day? They didn't know that, but the Bible tells us that at that point, uh, as the moon 
perhaps was the only light that they had in the quiet uh, of that place. It's, they're outside of the bustling city walls and it's quiet there. It's uh, rather dark and the sh- moon shadows are uh, cast along the way and it is a somber uh, atmosphere that uh, you would sense there. The Bible uh, tells us that uh, our Savior looked up to heaven and he addressed not the disciples, but his father and their father. And he prayed what uh, we should know as the Lord's Prayer. We think of the model prayer uh, that is given to Matthew as we call that the Lord's Prayer. But this more specifically would be the Lord's Prayer that uh, he prayed. And John, the whole 17th chapter, is a recording of what he said to the Father uh, there. And he, he, uh, he prayed for God's glory. He prayed that he would uh, soon be able to enter back into the glory which was his and his Father's together. He prayed for that. And he, uh, he prayed for his followers. He prayed for the disciples that were, were there. And then he prayed, as we read there, a prayer for all of us who would follow in belief as a result of the word of the disciples who would preach the gospel. He prayed for all of us there. And, and I want to tell you this morning that if you're here and you don't know the Savior as yet, that he prayed for you as well. He prayed for you. God is calling you to himself. If you're here without Christ today, God's calling you. And Jesus has prayed for you. And right now the Holy Spirit is convincing you and convicting you and, and drawing you and He wants you to respond to Him. All, all the persons of the Godhead are, are uh, uh, in a coordinated effort to, uh, to urge you to come to Christ. But ultimately it's going to be up to you. If you're here and you have not yet uh, understood what it means to be born again, to become a child of God, it's... It's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God which is at work in your heart even right now. But he says here in the first few verses, Father, the hour is come. The time is come that the great contest of all eternity will be decided. And there would be one that would come out bruised, but one that would come out crushed. And so the Lord Jesus Christ faces his... uh, uh, his nemesis, his enemy, Satan. And the scripture makes it clear that uh, the cross is the focal point of all that, where Satan would do all he could to destroy the Lord Jesus, but would do no better than to bruise his heel, but that the Lord Jesus would crush the head of the serpent uh, in, that, uh, in that glorious hour, which was just sung about, that it is finished. The head of the serpent is already crushed. He's He's operating on borrowed time right now, and the victory has already been won. Thank God for that. So that uh, the, uh, the prayer that Jesus prayed began with uh, a good deal of, uh, of uh, mention of God's glory and the glory of our Savior. The Bible tells us that man comes short of the glory of God. Scripture tells us that in the book of Romans. But Jesus comes up to the glory of God because he is God manifest in, uh, in the flesh. The Lord Jesus laid aside not his deity, but his glory when he came to be a man. He wanted to live as you and I live, as a man. He faced all the temptations that you and I face as a man, as a person, and, and uh, yet without sin. 
So he laid none of his deity aside, but only his glory that uh, was the Father's and was his from all eternity past. Matthew, Matthew Henry is a great commentator of the, on the scripture, and he says this. I want to read a quote from Matthew Henry regarding this glory of Christ. He said, The Father glorified the Son upon earth, first, even in his sufferings, by the signs and wonders which attended them. When they came to take him, they were thunderstruck with a word. When Judas confessed him as innocent and sealed that confession with his own guilty blood. When the judge's wife asleep and the judge himself awake pronounced him righteous. When the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple rent. Then the father not only justified but glorified the son. Nay, secondly, even by his sufferings. When he was crucified, he was magnified. He was glorified. It was in his cross that he conquered Satan and death. His thorns were a crown. And Pilate in the inscription over his head wrote more than he understood. But thirdly, much more after his sufferings, the Father glorified the Son when he raised him from the dead and showed him openly to chosen witnesses and poured out the Spirit to support and plead his cause and to set up his kingdom among men when he glorified him. This he here prays for and insists upon. What a great commentary on the prayer of the Lord Jesus that uh, he might once again uh, enjoy the fullness of the glory that belonged to him and the Father and the, and the Holy Spirit. Our purpose as well, uh, my Christian brothers and sisters, I address you at this time. Our purpose as well is to glorify God with our lives, our beings, our purposes. That's our purpose. Our great purpose is to glorify God even above, even above the purpose that we have to uh, reach the world, we have the responsibility to glorify our Savior with our lives. And to keep that motive in mind, to be mindful of that is uh, what ought to motivate us to, uh, to what we do and how we make decisions and what, we, what directions we take in our life, they should involve, the decisions should involve the question, uh, will this either bring glory to God or will it detract from the glory of God? Will it dishonor the Lord or will it honor the Lord, what I'm doing here? If the motivation is to honor God, which is what it means to glorify God, to honor Him with our lives, if the motivation is to honor God, God will bless that decision. If the motivation is all self-centered and self-advancing, then God can't be in that, you see. So the motive to glorify God ought to be high in our minds and everything we, we think about and do, you know, we ought to be, in the back of our minds ought to be, Lord, I, I want to, I don't want to do anything today that would bring dishonor and disrepute and, and ill upon your name. I want to live and talk and act and respond in such a way that would, uh, would bring honor to you. God help us to live our lives with that motivation in mind. Uh, to pray with that motivation in mind, you know what it's going to do to your prayer life? It will make it much more effective if your prayer life is revolving around, Lord, uh, as I pray, I want to be sure that what I'm asking for and what I'm praying about would, would be something that would not bring dishonor to you, would not be self-centered, it would not be self 
motivated, but it would be motivated by the desire to honor God with my life. Your prayer life will be much more effective, and mine will be much more effective if we'll think concerning that motive when we pray. Uh, when we pray for gain or goods or help or blessing on our work, if our desire is not just to provide for our family or to have things that we need, but if our desire also is, Lord, if you bless my work opportunities and bless my abilities, uh, I will honor you with my life and my giving and my we talk about missions, we've been talking about supporting missionaries and we've been asking folks to commit uh, themselves to giving to missions on a consistent basis and the motive for that is not so we can just say, you know, we got so many missionaries and we give so much. Uh, the motive for that is to get the gospel around the world that God might be glorified in the lives of people. Uh, the, the purpose that we, uh, we want people to be saved is not just to be saved alone, but that they might turn from glorifying themselves and the world and the flesh and the devil to glorifying God in their lives. And so uh, when we pray, if our prayer concerning God's blessing in our work has, has among the things that motivate us to pray that way would be among those would be, Lord, uh, I want to be blessed that I might be a blessing to others. I want to be blessed, Lord, that I might be able to be more effectual in my missionary support. Lord, I want to be blessed that I might be able to help others in need who don't have the benefits and blessings that I have. And so the motive is right and the, the answer is sure, you see, when the motive is where it should be. And thank God for uh, the godly men and women that we have all known that had effective and powerful prayer lives you'll see one thing that is common among all of them, and that commonality is that they understood how important it was when they prayed for something, that they made sure that it was something that would not bring dishonor to the Lord, but would honor Him and would be a blessing to others. That is what we're talking about. Many of you remember Brother Hank Newstrom, a dear friend of ours of many years, a member of the church here, was raised during the Depression era back in the 30s. His childhood was in the 1930s, and uh, the Great Depression, and they were, like many families, uh, just living hand-to-mouth, just barely making it, uh, and uh, just existing, getting by. It came to the point in their, um, in their situation, one cold winter uh, back in Pennsylvania, that they were uh, completely ran out of coal. Their coal was the source of heat, and it completely ran out of coal. house was getting colder and colder, and and uh, they were saying, uh, Hank said his brothers and sisters were there, mom was there, and what are we going to do? And Hank uh, said his dad, a godly man, a man of prayer, a man of the book, a man who kept the Bible open before them and taught them the word. Uh, he said, uh, I'm going to go upstairs and pray. He had a little quiet place upstairs by himself, and he said, I'm going to go upstairs and pray. And Hank gave this testimony. He said he wasn't up there but about 15 minutes before came a knock at the door. And uh, said, Hank, we ran to the door, see who it was. It was a, it was a man that, it was the man that uh, had, the, um, had the truck that uh, had the coal. And um, the man explained, he said, neighbor lady up here, and called her name, said she ordered uh, five ton of coal, and we got there, and her bin only would hold four ton. And so I said, you want me to take it back? And she said, no, just drop down the road to Hank, he may need some. And so... Uh, he said, I'm stopping here to drop you off a ton of coal. It's already paid for. So 
15 minutes is a, a short time for God to answer that prayer. And Hank said never forgot that, but he said it was just one of many, many examples he'd seen of his godly father going to the Lord in prayer and immediately seeing God respond uh, and God be glorified. When his uh, dad came down, the, the praise was not for dad's praying ability, but the praise was to the Heavenly Father who was glorified through all that. And so prayer, the power of prayer is greatly magnified when we keep in mind that motive. Lord, help me with uh, this blessing of my job or this blessing of my need or this situation where there's an illness. Help me, Lord, to uh, in it all glorify Thee. And so what, uh, what blessing and answers to prayer there are there. Uh, his, um, his purpose was to glorify God. But he said his, in verse 4, as I mentioned, his work was now done. His work was done. That is, his work relating to the disciples, preparing them. His word now he had given to them. His heart, his will he had given to them. His desire for them had been communicated to them now. And they were ready now to take the next step and to go into the next chapter that God had for them. The bulk of Christ's work on uh, the earth was related to his work among these twelve that he was training as the ambassadors that would go out and be the representative of Christ to the world. And so it was. So his work in that sense was done. His spirit now would soon empower these disciples and would... Uh, would complete the equation, so to speak. And he prays about that a little bit later too as he talks in the latter part of chapter 17 to the Father of the coming Spirit that would indwell them and empower them and endue them. He uh, uh, prays concerning that, that he would be with him, that they would, uh, them, that they would understand that he was going to be with them and in them. And he prayed along those lines as well. But his work with them as far as his training and uh, preparing them was, was finished now. And the disciples uh, did what they were supposed to do as well. He mentions that there. They, they believed his word. In verse 8, that we read that. The second part said they believed his word. You're here, a disciple of Christ. That's the first step you took when you came to Christ. You, you believed what the Bible said about him. And then they did the, the other thing that you have done if you're a child of God. They received his word. In the uh, first part of verse 8, they received his word. They received, they accepted it to themselves. They believed it and received it, you see. And then they kept his word. Verse 6, we read that. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. It's pretty simple, isn't it? When you look at it that way, it's believing his word, receiving it. And then just saying, Lord, now I'm a Christian, I'm a child of God, I'm a follower of Christ. I want to keep your word. I want to keep uh, doing what you tell me to do. I want to keep the word close to me. And I want to keep on with what you have taught me and, uh, and do what you want me to do in your will. He gave them in the passage that we read the relationship to the world. It says a lot about the world in there. It may be a little confusing to you. First it says they're in the world, then it says they're out of the world, it says they're back in the world, and out of the world, and, and what in the world is going on here, you say? So, uh, so it is true, though. It's all true. He gave them their relationship to the world. He said first, uh, in verse 6, he said, I called you out of it. Now you, brothers and sisters in Christ here, you're called out of the world. 
You're not called, uh, you know, just to, to uh, have a fire escape from hell and to go to heaven when you die and to do your own thing in the meantime. <laughs> You're called out of the world. I'm called out of the world as they were. Father, he said, uh, you gave them to me and, and, uh, and I have kept them. They were called out of the world. But in verse 11, he said, but, but we're living in the world. <laughs> we're called out of it, but we're living in it, you know. It's like being in a boat, you know. You're, you're, you're in the ocean, but you're in the boat. So it's bad when the ocean gets in the boat. It's okay when the boat's in the ocean. So, so uh, it's bad when the world gets in the Christian. You're going to be starting to sink like when the ocean gets in the boat. But you're in the world. You're, you're not to be of the world. And so um, that's what he's talking about there. He called them out of it. But he recognized that they're in the, the circumstances that they're in are, are putting them living in the world. And um, in verse 14, he, he, 14 through 16, he kind of elaborates on that. He said, I've given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they're not of the world, neither am I of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, make them hermits or put them on a mountaintop or isolate them. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So in the world, but not of the world, see? And he says, I'm going to have them in the world, but I'm going to pray. The Lord Jesus has prayed for you, brothers and sisters. He's prayed for you that you won't let the evil of the world get into you. So that's the prayer that our Lord Jesus Christ has prayed so long ago. And uh, uh, may I say that uh, his intercessory work for us is, is along those same lines that he, though we be in the world, he prays that, uh, that we are not uh, hindered and destroyed by the evil of the world. So Christian, ask yourself that question too when you're thinking about it. The, the, the world uh, and the evil of the world is what we're supposed to be out of and away from. He didn't tell us uh, there as, as Jesus prayed. He said, Lord, I'm not, Father, I'm not asking that, you, that we just, when they get saved, we just uh, you know, snatch them out of the world. I'm not asking, Father, that when they get saved, they go to a monastery somewhere and, and uh, hide behind the cloistered walls and never have any contact with the world. That's not the way the world would ever be one. He said, they're out of it, but I'm sending them into it. In verse 17, that's what he said there. We read it uh, in, in um, the uh, 16th verse, I'm sorry. Uh, they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth, as thou hast sent me into the world. Even so also I have sent them into the world. So we're sent out into the world after we're sealed and trained and after we're ready to uh to advance on the world we're we're sent out into it as a as a light as a witness as a testimony and that's what we're talking about we're sent out into it and he says why the purpose that we're sent out into it is that the world might believe verse 21 that the world might believe that they all may be one as thou father art in me and i in thee that they uh, also may be one that the, uh, in us that the world may believe. That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Uh, Father, I'm sending them out that the world may hear and may believe that thou hast sent me. And that the world may know the truth. Verse 23, um, I in them and thou in me. 
that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. That the world may believe and that the world may know. All that is related to the Lord Jesus praying to the Father as he's talking about them being sent into the world. So you're the sent ones. You are, in that sense, the word apostle means the sent one. And you are, you don't get to be one of the 12 apostles and one of the gates in heaven. not going to be named after you. But you are the sent ones. You are among those that are sent. If you're saved and a child of God, you're sent into the world to be representing Christ to the world. And the purpose of it is that the world can believe and the world can know Christ. The world can know the truth. That's the way God uh, works that thing. But our, our Savior is not only praying for His glory and for the, the work of the, uh, of the Christians, but he's praying for us as well that we're kept from the world, as we read in verse 11 through 16. That we're, Father, keep them from the evil. Keep them saved and secure. You, uh, you ought to be thankful to God that you don't have to keep yourself saved because you'd slip from the rope really quick, you know, uh, and the, the, knot, the last knot would come undone and you'd fall if it depended on you keeping yourself saved. If you're saved at all, you're saved by the, all the work of Christ. It's nothing that you did. And so uh, to be kept by the power of God unto salvation, uh, unto the day of His coming, that's the work of God. And that's what He's talking about here in the idea of keeping them. We're kept by the power of God. We're kept secure as we see in the, uh, uh, in the entire uh, context of the Gospels. The idea of our salvation being in Christ and of Christ and by Christ and through Christ, it's all there. And thank God that we don't have to depend on ourselves to keep our salvation. We're kept and we're secure. We're kept then, he, he prays that we're kept from the evil of the world, from the evil ways and the evil things of the world, and from the evil one himself. We are given that promise. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You mean to... We don't have an excuse to succumb to the temptations of the devil and say, I just couldn't resist. I couldn't uh, do it. I couldn't overcome. Because the scripture promises us, if you're saved, that greater is he that is in you, the Holy Spirit of God, than he that is in the world. The scripture tells us that if we'll resist the devil, he will flee from us. The Bible makes that promise to us. If we resist the devil, he'll flee from us. And we find the Lord Jesus resisting him by simply quoting the scripture. Jesus can't stand it when you start quoting, I mean, the devil can't stand it when you start quoting Scripture. Jesus likes it pretty good. <laughs> but, uh, but the devil can't stand it when you start quoting Scripture. And if you have not begun to memorize Scripture, you need to do that because there's going to be times when the devil comes tempting you and you don't have a Bible handy, you know. And you're going to have to bring to mind some passages of the Scripture like Jesus did when the devil tempts you to anger, to bitterness, to, to hate, to fear to, um, you know, to do wrong in circumstances where you're tempted. You're going to have those things, and oftentimes you're not going to have the, uh, the opportunity to be right near church or uh, right among brethren or right near your Bible. So you're going to have to bring to mind those truths. And the Holy Spirit will help you do that. He'll bring them to your mind. He'll give you the scriptures if you've taken any trouble to begin to put some in your heart and, and remember some things. So... 
The best way to remember things is, is just by reading it and reading it and reading it and reading it and over and every day and every day and every day and every day and reading it and reading it and reading it. And, reading it and it's uh, going to stick. It's going to stick. Even in you thick-headed ones, it's going to stick, you know. I know because I'm one of the thick-headed ones and one of the slow learners and one of the ones that's, uh, that uh, struggles in those things. And so I know that if you just stick with it and stay with it and read it and read it, God will put it in your heart and God will put it in your mind and it will be there when you need it. It'll be there for you when you need it. When you uh, quote back the scripture to him like Jesus did, he will flee from you. He just can't, devil just can't stand it. He can't stand the word and he can't stand Christians that know anything about the word. So, uh, so get at that and, and recognize that that's the way that he keeps us. Uh, he keeps us that way. He didn't save us to take us out of the world, but to send us into the world. We're salt and light. And uh, the purpose that he uh, gave to us was clear there. We're to... We're to get the world out of us, but we're to go to the world and reach the world. Uh, he says there that we'll be sanctified. We'll be set aside to uh, the purposes of the Lord. To be sanctified is to be cleansed and set aside to God's purposes. That's what sanctification is. It's something that is, needs to go on all the time in our life. You know, you, don't, you, you didn't just wash a glass at the beginning of the year and just said, you know, I'm going to use that glass the rest of the year uh, and just set it up on the shelf, you know, we... Uh, come to the shelf and you bring your friends in and you take the glasses out and they're all smeared and dirty and, and nasty and greasy and everything. And you say, well, I washed them at the beginning of the year. You know, well, <laughs> you, need to, you need to wash them regular, you know, like you need to wash your hands, <laughs> you know. And uh, uh, sanctification is some, something that just doesn't happen once and that's it and it's all over with you. You need cleansing. We need daily cleansing. We're cleansed by the power of the Word. We need that daily washing of the water of the Word. We need that all the time. And uh, then as we're cleansed, we are set apart for the Lord's purposes in our life. We just need to know what those are, determine what God's purposes are through His Word and, and do those things. That's, that's all sanctification really is, but He talks about that as we read in verse 17, 18, and 19, to be an instrument that is fit for God to use. And it's God's Word that does the sanctifying work. So, so that, that's it. Our Savior's prayer for us is not only that we'd be kept and that we'd be sanctified, but also that we'd be unified. Verse 21 to 23 prays that way that we'd be unified. Now, a, a local church is supposed to be the ideal of that, and we're supposed to be in unity doctrinally, in unity in direction, in unity in purpose. We're supposed to have that as a local church, and thank God... Uh, by the grace of the Lord, He's helped us with that as a local church. And any local church ought to have that, you know, as, as uh, the thing. But you look at that and you, you're reading down through there. And He said that they all may be one as we are one. And, and He's talking about, you know, all these ones that would ever believe on Him through the Word. And we know there's millions of Christians out there in the world and they're not all independent, fundamental, Calvary, Baptist, Church, Baptists, you know. Uh, we know that. And we know that uh, there's some very uh, diverse uh, points of view concerning doctrine, and we're thinking, how is in the world is it uh, he's praying there that we all may be one as he is one, and we may all be one and all be one, and over and over again, uh, four or five times there, verse 21, that we may be one, verse 21, the second part, that we may be one, verse 22, that we may be one, uh, verse 23, that we may be made perfect in one, uh, that they may be with, uh, with me where I am, verse 24, one, 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 maybe one. And you're thinking, uh, it ain't working so good, you know, uh, out there in the world. And 
uh, you know, they, uh, there's all kinds of diversity among those that uh, claim Christ and among those that are genuine Christians. Uh, you get your hymn book out and you're reading that and you're reading some of these uh, authors and you're saying, well, that guy's a Methodist, you know. Well, wait a minute, that guy's a Wesleyan, you know, that guy's a Presbyterian. That guy's, you know, uh, what in the world, you know, and uh, he's a Congregationalist and, they, you know, believe in infant baptism. Wait a minute, wait a minute, you know, and you're reading all that and you say that, uh, how's this, Lord, that you're praying they may be one as we are one? Well, the, the fact is that the local church is the local representation of that picture that we see in the scripture. We find the early church was together in one accord, there Jerusalem, that early church was together in one accord. They had all things, you know, uh, to a purpose, and they understood, and they were working together on that. And there was unity, there was harmony, there was doctrinal agreement uh, there, and we got that, you know. But as time went on, the centuries go on, we have all these diversities and denominations and all these things happening, and you're thinking, where in the world did that go, the answer to that prayer? You've got to recognize that the way he's praying this prayer has to do with the future tense, something that hasn't come to pass yet uh, in the broad spectrum of Christianity. It's completed in the future tense, as it says, that we, not that we are one, that we, but that we may be one. The day's coming when we'll get it all straightened out, and everybody's going to be a fundamental Baptist. <laughs> Uh, we, may, we may get corrected on a few things. We get to heaven and the Lord may slap us around and say, you dummy, you, you didn't have that quite right. <laughs> so, but regardless, we're, there is coming a day when all the saints of all the ages are going to be gathered together in one place in heaven and it's going to be called the general assembly and church of the firstborn. And so that's what it is in heaven, but that's a future prospect and that's there and that's when we all got it all straightened out. We all have our glorified bodies, our glorified minds. We think like Christ. We live like Christ. We act like Christ. We are per made perfect in Christ. And, and uh, so we're a long way from perfect now and this unity and harmony is not going to come with the, you know, uh, some world order, world council of churches and order of churches and the Pope and everybody calling everybody to get back together in one unified church and all that. That's, you know, that isn't going to happen and that's not what the Bible, uh, that's not what the Bible prescribes. God is going to be the one that unifies and harmonizes and brings it all together in a day that is yet to come. And so all these terms are future tense that he may be, may be, may be one, maybe someday that they, not maybe in the sense of the single word, but may be, will be someday in the future, these things. And he, he clarifies in verse 24 very clearly, he says that they may be with me where I am. That's not yet. We're not with him where he is yet in heaven. We're going to be, but it's the church uh, gathered together in prospect, you see. In Ephesians 4 and verse 13, it clarifies it still more. It says, till, and that's a future tense events, till we all come, we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is future tense, my friend. We're a long way from perfect, aren't we? A long way from the perfect man. A long way from the fullness of the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. From the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're a long way from that. But it's, it's a coming. It's a coming. It's going to be a unity of a common faith. It's going to be a unity of, a doctrinal, of doctrinal truth. And um, as I said, it's supposed to be illustrated in our local church. Well, he prays lastly that we'll be glorified, that the day will come where we 
will enter into His glory. Verse 24 through verse 26, He emphasizes that, that the day will come where we enter into His glory, That's, uh, we have the, that we enjoy the glory of our Savior and we bask in the fullness of His glory. What a day that will be, as the song says. When we see our Lord uh, as He ought to be seen in the fullness of His glory, when we see our Savior without the limitations that he had as a man. We see him in the fullness of his glory. My friend, that's the, the day we're looking forward to. And looks like the way this world's going, it's coming sooner than later, isn't it? So, so thank God for that. Have you believed and received the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you responded to the word of the truth of the gospel? Are you, if you have already, then are you keeping his word? Are you trying to live by his word? Are you keeping it close to you? Are you keeping it around? Are you keeping it in mind? Are you keeping it in your heart? Are you keeping the word? And then uh, are, you, uh, are you trying to uh, be that kind of uh, ambassador to the world that you and I as Christians need to be? Let's stand together give an invitation. For those that are preparing to be baptized, you can slip out now and uh, get changed for baptism right now and head on down to the baptism rooms there. And, and then uh, for the rest of us, I want to ask you to consider Christ today. If you haven't come to Christ and haven't been born again yet, I want to urge you to, to respond and come to Jesus today and receive Him as your Savior. Oh, the way that happens, it, 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 there's other ways it can happen. I, you know, I understand that. You can get saved at home or on, in your car or anywhere else, but uh, we try to help you with that. By, if you come, it's a man that comes and you need to trust Christ as your Savior, we'll have a man show you out of the Bible how the Scripture says to call on Christ and be saved. And if it's a lady who comes, we'll do the same. Um, so, um, you know, we want to just be help to you like somebody was to us when we came to Jesus. And so that's an invitation for you. If you're saved already, thank God for it. I praise the Lord for you, my brother and sister. Uh, but uh, maybe the Lord's working in your heart in some other avenue. Maybe you haven't been baptized biblically and you need to do that. Something else. Well, whatever it is, come on ahead and let's uh, do business with the Lord. Maybe you just need to come and pray. 185, we're going to sing Jesus paid it all and you come. Father, we ask your blessing on this invitation, we thank you for your goodness to us. We pray that you'd uh, help us to respond as your Holy Spirit leads us to. And if there's somebody here that's not yet saved, I pray you'd save them today, Lord, and uh, give them the grace to respond and, the, and, uh, sh and to uh, show them your mercy. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 185.